You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. This is your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. We have an old friend alert uh, signing today. We're going to talk about uh, Rob Manford and just uh, his whole situation. And then we will get into the all-time Indians team as there is... uh, We'll talk about the Lindor stuff in passing as well, but let's be honest, there's really not a whole lot to dig in there. We have not dug in already this year. So Rob Manford pretty much came out and said, yeah, in a perfect world, you know, everyone who cheated would uh, pay a price, but that's not how it's going to work. You're the commissioner. Like He could not have come out today and sounded more impotent and incapable at his job. Now, this should come as no surprise. Bud Selig, when he was picked, was the owner of the Brewers. Uh, eventually he had to give up that position. If you remember, he agreed to move his team from the AL to the NL to help with some realignment and the like. But uh, he was picked to be a weak man. I mean, that was his job. Was He was picked to be a weak commissioner that was pro-owner. And Manford is basically doing more of the same. I mean, this is Selig's uh, picked, you know, successor. So it just comes as no surprise that he can sit back and make statements like he made, um, which just sound so very toothless and that, you know, really the office of the commissioner has no power over the game itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it every day it's harder and harder to be an apologist for the Astros and it's harder and harder to not look at the slap on the wrist, which at first I was like, you know, that's a pretty big cost. And then within days, the uh, Houston Astros sign what a player for 4.4 million which is equivalent of like a top 10 pick let me get the guy's name i should have it in front of me already but yeah so they went out and you know used their international money um and immediately signed a prospect so they will sign uh pedro leon on july 2nd and it'll be uh, for $4.4 million. He's 21 years old. He'll probably jump all the way up into AAA. He's played in the Cuban League. So, yes, um, the Astros lose their first and second rounders. And if you look at all of the money in those picks in terms of competitive, what they're losing in terms of their pool money, it wouldn't equal the 4.4 they're spending on this one player here. Um, so, yeah, that's really <laughs> all you really need to say about it. I mean, they they really wanted to get him they would have taken away that international pool money as well but the international pool money then gave them a way to still go out and do what they need to do so yeah the astros cheated to win at a very cheap price and that's what we're gonna see and players have a right to be pissed and astros players really it's really hard to look at them and their statements and think of anything other than it sounding incredibly weak like i think that's we can all agree you know the whole oh well you know, I was just being a good player, a good teammate. I was listening to my coach. Eh, that doesn't seem to hold a lot of water at this point. I, I don't see how anyone can really defend that position. And I don't see how we're kind of where we are. It is interesting, and I get it. I know why the Braves got a bigger punishment than the um, the Astros did, and that's because the Astros cooperated and the Braves did not. And that that's really what it got down to with the Braves. But... What the Astros did was a bigger deal, and they got less of a punishment. So, yeah, let's we'll move on from that. Old friend alert: Cody Anderson signed a minor league deal with the Mariners. He was always a two pitch guy. He had that big velocity, but it was not. He couldn't. It was 
pretty straight fastball, and we'll see if he gets, you know, turns into anything. At this point, he is 29 years of age, um, and he had, what, five games in the big leagues last year, all pretty disastrous. 2015 at, uh, at age 24 was when he made his debut, and in 91 innings, he had a 3.05 ERA and 15 starts. Like, he looked like a part of the future of the Cleveland Indians at that point. I really liked him. His ERA plus was a 141, though his FIP was a 427, which showed that he was playing over his head, but not massively. What, If I was looking at numbers then the way I look at them now, and I was to a degree, um, but I, I obviously in 2015 just wasn't as much because I would have saw the 4.3 strikeouts per nine and been like, this isn't going to work. Um, he always never walked anyone, but... Uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things you could have almost predicted. It wasn't going to work out for Cody Anderson, even looking at the success of his first year. We'll wish him well, and hopefully he figures some things out, arm injuries and all of that really un- uh, unraveled him. It's interesting, though, that Cody Anderson has signed and Danny Salazar still hasn't, and I think that just kind of says a lot. I mean, I've had a lot of people being like, how do you leave Danny Salazar off your best available list? It's because I saw him in person last year, and he was a shell of himself, and I mean, it's a sad but true fact that I was told by someone in the Indian system that, like, there was six years left in that arm in, in at best, and he didn't get to six years. You know, he got to, like, five from that point. But it was almost like there was a view in system that at some point he was going to implode, and he did. And now he, I mean, no one's taken a gamble at all. So no Danny Salazar, but Cody Anderson has signed. Um, let's quickly dive into Francisco Lindor's comments. I mean, he's saying the right things, but when you get right down to it, Lindor has no interest in, in signing with the Cleveland Indians, signing an extension. I don't take anything he says. I mean, he likes it here. I, I'm not denying that. I also think he wants to raise his Q rating, and I also think he wants to get paid. Everything he has done from the moment he has come up has been to set himself up to get to that payday, to get to free agency as quickly as possible. He has no interest in signing extension. He doesn't. You know, the Indians I had from, you know, a reliable source basically came up to him the same way they came up to Jose Ramirez and, you know, Grady Sizemore and guys before that and offered him an extension when he was making nothing. Like, okay, we'll buy out two years of your free agency. It'll be at a good price and we'll do your basic uh, cheap deal where you're going to get money right away, but we're going to get a few, a little bit of free agency on the back end. That's what the Indians have always done. Uh, it's been successful sometimes. Other times it has turned into an anchor. But the Indians tried that, and Lindor had no interest. His agent has no interest. I've discussed many times how his agent has... is. It is in his best interest more than anyone else's to get... even maybe more than Lindor's to get Lindor to free agency and get a massive deal. Agents make their names on big money free agent deals... This agent needs to make his name on that big money free agent deal. So if he can get Lindor big money, he's going to get a lot more clients. It makes his life better. And for Lindor, I mean, he's a top five, top ten player in all of baseball. He has every right to go to free agency and see what the open market will pay. This is, you know, it's somewhat similar to LeBron back when he was with the Cavs. You know, you can say all the right things, but the writing's on the wall. You know, we knew... I think we all kind of expected both times with LeBron to bolt and with Lindor we know he's going to bolt that's just the way of how this works and the only difference is uh when LeBron was at the Cavs both times they were the ones who could offer the most money so it wasn't about the money with LeBron in this case it's going to be about the money and it is going to be about raising his Q rating and 
I mean, it's weird because we live in this day and age where everyone is everywhere all the time, but it is still easier to get a national contract in baseball uh, or, you know, a big advertisement deal if you're a coastal guy. It just is. For It's not like the NBA. It's not like the NFL. It's a league where, I mean, I, I say this as someone who writes about it. It's declining writership positions. You look around anywhere. There's not places hiring baseball writers outside of the athletic. Um, you know, ESPN, if you look at all of the guys they've brought in over the past few years, bringing in Jeff Passan and the like, they have set themselves up not so much as baseball writers. I mean, Passan is a great writer. But when you look at the Woj, the Passans, the Schefters, they're more about the we broke the story. Like, that is where it goes. And baseball in general, it's just, I mean, I'm facing that now. Like, Scout was a great site. It had a ton of sister sites. Um, and it was that whole model of, like, basically every city would be represented. And I, that's where I had my most success, far and away, as a writer. I mean, not even close. Uh, I peaked in my writing uh, two, three years ago when Scout was at its best. And eventually 24-7 bought us, and now they're not going to do pro sports. You know, it was finally announced this week that uh, Indians Baseball Insider is basically going away, which is where I started uh, back when it was Indians Prospect Insider. I was the first guy Tony brought in. Um I had been talking with someone that prospects are growing. We should make a site that's only for prospects. And then I found that site when someone's done it. And you know, it's something like, I remember one of my first write-ups being like diamonds in high A or something like that, or low A. And someone like Connor Grams, who the Indians traded Raphael Betancourt for, and some of those lesser pieces and trades. But that's where I started, and that site's not going to exist because they couldn't even find a place that would take them. They couldn't find a place that would absorb them. Um, you know, you have your bleacher reports and your, your like, but baseball on the whole isn't, it's making huge contracts and it's doing well. I'm not saying it's the death of the game, but it's a weird place where I don't know if people just don't want to read about baseball anymore. It used to be the prestige writing position, but baseball writing jobs are disappearing more and more every day. And it's, it's kind of a hard, sad state to, to face where I see a lot of friends and people I respect in the field who have moved on to other things. Wow, that's depressing. So with Lindor, I can't blame him. Get your money. You have a window to make money in. Moving to a coastal place will probably get you the most money and get him the advertising he should get. I mean, this the the way he plays the game, his personality, he should be one of the faces of baseball. But at the same time, baseball has a hard time marketing Mike Trout. And Mike Trout is an uber-athletic white guy. Like, I only bring up race because, you know, most of the country are, are white. Let's just... Not going to dive into anything beyond that, but Mike Trout should be very easy to sell. You know, when you look at all the people who get mad at the NFL, Mike Trout, perfect guy to, to do the counter sell to that to that grouping. It's it's just I don't understand baseball. I don't understand what they're doing. But I mean, one can make a strong case that uh, the commissionership in every sport is doing a pretty piss poor job. I, I mean, you look at what happened in the NHL uh, where it almost feels like Bettman was a sleeper agent we already talked about baseball uh, NBA with their declining uh, revenues and, uh, and viewership but I think Adam Silver is actually probably the best commissioner and then Goodall with all of his stuff it's it's interesting to kind of see well we'll have to continue to to watch but yeah commissioners uh, not doing much it feels like <sighs> deep breath sorry everyone bringing it down what will not bring you down is our Fantasy Minute, brought to you by League Gamish, um, our fantastic new sponsor. Let's talk about Francisco Lindor, who I was just talking about. Uh, he is definitely going to outperform last year because he missed significant time a year ago, and he's not going to miss significant time this year, fingers crossed. 
what we've seen the past few years is a consistent uptick and his value and ability. When you look at the shortstop position, he's providing a superb power output. I mean, the unfortunate thing is I don't think most fantasy leagues uh, do much in terms of defensive value, which is part of what he brings to the game. But just as a hitter, you know, he is a guy who's could potentially be a 40-40 player. Um, I say that, you know, 25 stolen bases last year, 22 this year, maybe closer to a 30-30, but I could definitely see, you know, 40 home runs from him with, with 30 doubles is not beyond the, the realm of possibility. Get him in your first round. I mean, honestly, when you look at the shortstop position, uh, he played 143 games last year, so he only missed about 20, which is kind of a surprise. Once he came back, he really didn't rest. Last few years, 33, 38, 32 home runs, you know, 19, 15, 25, 22 stolen bases. He does it all. Uh, easy pick. Francisco Lindor is a first-round pick. He should be one of the top five to six players off the board. Um, if people are worried about, oh, you know, what about all the, the talk? Is that going to hang over him? I don't think so. Draft him. Enjoy him. Hey, we'll just steal the Dolan sign. Enjoy him. So that was the Fantasy Minute brought to you by League Commish. If you're not familiar with League Commish, what are you doing for the game? A universal question. Whether the casual follower... The person who tweets everything, the beginner, the diehard, the stat nerd, the smat talker, the appetizer guy, the guy who couldn't care less, or the one who makes everything into a competition. We all have our places in the sports world. The same personalities apply to fantasy sports, and League Commission exists to ensure fantasy that your fantasy sports experience is the best one for you. We match managers to leagues as we lay the foundation for your new league. It's easy to sign up with your preferences, get matched, and approve of that match before any commitment on your end. Sign up with League Commish by February 29th and you get 15% off entering, 15% off by entering the code locked on in the referred by section of the sign up form. The first 25 people to sign up using their uh, the code get their first match for free. What are you doing after the game? Finding your next sports league with League Commish. I can just say, as someone in his late 30s now, like I had some leagues that existed from college and people start to fall off. People lose interest in certain sports, life changes. That's what league commission is great for. You're going to be able to find a new active league. Um, if you're in that situation where I am, where it feels like you're down to like six guys who bother to check during the course of their fantasy season. So we don't have as much time on the back end. I know I've been promising all time Indians, all time Indians. So let's talk about all time Indians left field. Now, this is one of those situations where the left field position did not have a lot of players in name that stood out just as I was going through and looking at it. Um, it's kind of a position that's been filled by the Indians at points in time by, uh, you know, I almost want to say mercenary, but we're looking at guys who have come in at points for the Indians and just played a year or two, played an off year. Uh, it, it, the other question becomes honestly with this is if you are looking at the, it's like, do we take our three best outfielders and claim, well, you know, especially with left field, it's like anyone who's a center fielder could have probably played left field and been pretty excellent there. Um, that's a question and it's a legitimate question to make. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like I prefer having an actual left fielder out there and not taking that approach. You know, when I was just looking at my own history of my past or the names I had heard about where I wasn't really sure. It's like I looked up Rocky Calavito and I know there are people out there who are like, oh, 
come on, dude, you should know that he was a right fielder. Well, I didn't. Sorry. You know, he's a little behind my time. I had heard about, uh, you know, Super Joe Charbonneau was one of those names I'd heard about not realizing how short his career had actually been with the Indians. It was essentially like he won the rookie of the year at age 25 and then turned into a pumpkin. Like, it's it's one of those odd, odd things that I had no idea about, really. And so I looked at it, and, you know, he, he was a left fielder that year that he won the Rookie of the Year, so he should... He got some consideration. Uh, you know, when I dug into Joe Charbonneau, it was one of those where I was like, I need to read more, because I knew the name, but I had no idea that that was how small it was. I guess that's kind of what happens uh, when you're born in 81, and his Rookie of the Year year was 80. You know, I'm like one of those people who uh, the last Indians perfect game was like a few months before I was uh, born. So there's never been an Indians perfect game in my lifetime. So it it is interesting, especially you look at Charbonneau and it's like, man, he had 131 games in 48, then 22 and uh, 846 OPS to 609, 679. But his career OPS is still over 700 because the one good year was a sustained year. But that's kind of what we're dealing with. Um, left field has almost been borderline a cursed position for the Cleveland Indians. And there's one guy who stands out. And I don't think, if you're sitting there, I'm sure you were thinking about this player. Um, there's no way you couldn't. And that's Albert Bell. And Albert Bell, you know, there's a lot of baggage there. And I get that. But he is just one of the most phenomenal players, hitters in Cleveland Indians history. Uh, I think we sometimes forget just how good Albert Bell was at peak. And, you know, he produced in 95 one of the greatest offensive seasons in Indians history. In case you've forgotten, forgotten? in case you've forgotten about 95, 143 games, led the league with 121 runs, led the league with 52 doubles and 50 home runs, 126 RBIs, 690 slugging, 377 total bases. So he was a 50-50 guy. He only struck out 80 times, walked 73, and he hit 317. Uh, 401 on base. Uh, He was darn near a perfect hitter. Like, that is what more do you really want a guy to do uh, as a power hitter? Is the downside that he only stole five bases that year? Because I could go back to 1993 when he hit uh, 38 home runs and also stole 23 bases. Now, he caught, caught stealing 12 times, so it's probably good that they uh, cut back on that. But you just go through those. I mean, 94, 95, and 96, he finished third, second, and third in the MVP. Uh, 95, he definitely should have won it, but again, he lost to big market, and he was also, you know, again, a prickly personality, which made Albert Bell difficult. But uh, there's no one who can really compete with Albert Bell from basically 93 to 96. His years in Cleveland uh, that time was, you know, that, that just such a peak performance in time. And what's interesting, you know, here's a guy who came up in 89, didn't do much, got a cup of coffee in 90, didn't do much, came up in 91 and had a, you know, a, a good long year and he hit 28 home runs. And that was kind of enough to kind of get him on the board Comes back the next year with 34. I mean, one can really make a case, even though he wasn't like that all-star level in 91 or 92. Uh, 92, he did get some MVP votes, interestingly enough. But you just look at the the power production. Once he was up to stay in 91, 28, 34, 38, 36, 50, 48. Uh, Essentially, you go down. 
goes to the White Sox, hits 30 in the first year, 49, then goes to Baltimore, hits 37, and then has 23 in 2000 at 33 and is done because of a degenerative hip. Uh, if Albert Bell had played in a large market and been an angel, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. I honestly, truly believe that. Um, if he had been who he was and not had the degenerative hip, uh, he would be one of those guys who's kind of in the bonds grouping where we're not sure about uh, performance enhancing and the like, but he would have easily got to 500 home runs. I mean, he had 37 at age 32, and then his hip started to fall apart on him at age 33. You look at that era, uh, the ability for him just to shift to a full-time DH, I he ended his career with 381 home runs. I, I can't see him not getting to 500. Uh, his hits were at 1,700. He was just offensive force. Career OPS plus of 144. 144. That's just utterly phenomenal. Um, he was one of the greatest Indians I've experienced in my lifetime. Again, you know, I was... I remember the... My parents didn't take me to a lot of games, um, and I didn't have cable growing up, so I actually grew up watching a lot of games on uh, 43 UAB, so Jim Corgan is kind of always going to be my guy. But uh, I remember the first game I went to, it was we had upper deck seats, and my I went with my mom and sister, and it was just like, I can't remember what year, it might have been 95 or something. I was excited to go, but my family did not like heights, so we ended up being in standing room, and that was the game where... We ended up winning it on an Albert Bell Grand Slam against the Angels in the ninth. And I'm fuzzy, fuzzy on a lot of details, but I'm not fuzzy on that. And when you look at the greatest left fielder in Indians history, it's Albert Bell. I, I just don't think there is anyone who had the span of years to really compete. Um, it is not a huge position. It basically comes down to, you know, would you maybe shift a Larry Doby or an Earl Averell over there if you are a you know if you just view it as outfield and not specific position if you look at it that way I could see going with someone else I believe towards the end of his career Dobie did shift over to no he shifted to right more and left he only played 22 games and left so I'm wrong there but that's the only way I can really see not taking Albert Bell it's he his offensive production was too prestigious Um, I do find it interesting that his OPS or his offensive war was like 15th for that one season uh wasn't really up there but he is he's 16th all-time in indians history uh carlos santana 14th interesting uh only other guys higher than him in his era when you're looking at are ramirez santana and jim tomey and lofton that's it and all of those guys um with the exception i mean most of the of someone like santana a lot of them played here longer than Bell did. Um, a lot of them, you know, the Indians had bought out some of those arbitration years and as, as like those deals we talked about. Um, another forgotten name we'll talk about at center field in the top 20 that you probably may not think about is, is Grady Sizemore. Another, you could put those two guys together and not, I mean, Grady Sizemore was a bit of a darling, but I mean, Sizemore is another one where injuries essentially ended him. Like, I think he was very safely on a Hall of Fame track. When you look at him at age 25, uh, 39 home runs and uh, I mean Grady Sizemore is going to be the great what if of my baseball life as an Indians fan but I'll get into that when we go to the center field all time left field and single season left field it's Albert Bell 
It's uh, not the deepest position. Uh, come at me online. Tell me who I forgot, because I certainly did. There's a lot of history, and we saw with first base I had just name-blanked on some guys or shot past people not thinking. I want to thank everyone for listening, um, rating and reviewing, dealing with some of my complaining about the state of baseball writing uh, in the country. It's, it's a, a personal pain for me. I hope you appreciate the all-time Indians. I hope you appreciate the candor about the fact that Rob Manford is a joke and the candor about... Lindor is doing nothing wrong, but he's also not re-signing, let's be honest. So, thank you all. You are what make this podcast go. And as always, go try.